0: As a young man, I had the opportunity to travel about the country speaking in various churches as a Bible teacher and evangelist. On one of those occasions, I was invited to speak in a church in Connecticut. One night during those uh, meetings, I spoke on the gospel and explained very simply that Jesus Christ died for our sins and arose from the dead and that in order to go to heaven, all we had to do was trust in Jesus Christ, and God would give us the gift of eternal life. After the service, the pastor and I went to the back door to greet the people as they departed, and one older man who came through the line said to me with obvious anger in his voice, and I quote, Young man, if what you said tonight is true, God is unfair because of those who've never heard the name of Christ have no chance to go to heaven. Before I could respond, he darted out the door, and I never saw him again. In all the years that I've been talking to people about the Lord, and that's well over 50 I would say that this is one of the most common questions I have personally received as an objection to Christianity. As a matter of fact, I think it might be the most objection to Christianity. There are others. I've spoken on several, but this one gets, uh, comes across the plate a lot. The basic idea is this. It's very simple. The Bible teaches, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, if that's the case, what about people that never heard about him or the gospel? They are condemned? How could God possibly be fair and just and do that? You ever heard that question? How many of you have ever had somebody object to Christianity and give you that question? All right. How many of you have ever thought about the question yourself? Has that ever occurred to you? How do you answer that? Well, there is an answer, a good answer, a reasonable answer. It's tucked away in the book of Romans. So may I invite you to join me in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now, before I read the verse I have in mind, let me point out that the assumption under this objection is the idea that people who've never heard of Jesus Christ have no opportunity whatsoever to be saved because they don't have any information whatsoever. And therefore, they are ignorant, and consequently, they are innocent, and therefore, unaccountable. But the key issue is the assumption, is they have no way, they have no information. So I would like to make a couple of observations. And the first is that they do have some information. I'm going to explain all that's involved in that, But the point is that God has revealed himself several different ways. And that's where the book of Romans comes in. For example, in Romans 1.20 it says, From since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The first point I want to make, and I have several, is that God has revealed himself several different ways. I want to talk about revelation. One of the ways he has revealed himself is through creation. This and other verses in the Bible clearly lay that out. This says it in a very fascinating way. Invisible things about God. Things you can't see are seen by the things that are made. Simply put, everybody on this planet has some revelation of God in creation. The logic goes like this. You ought to be able to look at the world and simply ask, how did it get here? Who made it? There must be a world maker if there is a world. Now, I have an illustration that I've used hundreds of times. In this series, I've used it before. It's the watch. And I love this illustration. What can you tell me because I have this watch in my hand? And the answer is, you tell me all kinds of things. The length of the band, the color of the band, the color of the watch. You can tell me what time it is. You can tell me all kinds of things. Well, let me tell you some things I don't see but are true number one somewhere in the world there's a watchmaker that's the argument I can furthermore tell you a couple of things about that watchmaker I can tell you he has intelligence and the power to put one of these things together and he has more skill than I do because I can't do that okay Now look at verse 20 again. The invisible things of him are clearly seen by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. In other words, you ought to be able to look at the world and tell some things about God you can't see in the world, namely that he has power. Scientists talk about the Big Bang Theory. Well, that's a big bunch of power. So whoever did it, power then looking at what results it seems that there is intelligence behind that world or that creation if you will so God has revealed himself through creation we ought to be able to look at things that we see and conclude some things that we can't see and the illustration is the watch I have another illustration I I'm an illustration. What can you tell me because I'm standing up here? My height? My weight? Let's don't go there. Color my eyes? Color my hair? Let's don't go there. My clothes? I mean, just based on what you see now, not anything you know beyond that, what what do you know because I'm standing up here? Well, let me tell you something I know that you can't see that you ought to be able to know because I'm standing here. There has been or is on this planet a mother. Make sense? Now, I know some things about that woman. You might guess at her height, weight, and color of her eyes and all that kind of stuff, which may or may not be true, but the one thing we know for certain is she had the power to give birth. Now that's that's what Paul is saying. Simple as that. There is a world, and in the world there is things we see, and from the things we see, we can know some things we don't see. Namely, that there is a creator who put it here, and he has the power to do that. In other words, simply put, there's a world. So there's a world maker. We call him God. Now, I said God has revealed himself several different ways. That's just one way. Turn to chapter 2 and look at verse 14. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, that is, they don't have God's revelation in his word, by nature... Do things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Ah. Romans chapter 1 is saying one of the ways God has revealed himself is through creation. Romans chapter 2 is saying a second way that God has revealed himself is through the conscience. That there is in all of us a conscience that uh, there's a moral oughtness in the world. That conscience accuses us. however. It can be used to excuse what we do. But the first thing I want you to focus on is that it accuses us. It testifies to the fact that there is a moral oughtness in the world, and that moral oughtness ought to point a finger toward God. Let me see if I can illustrate this as simply as possible. Um, When you were a kid, did you ever steal a cookie when your mother told you you couldn't have a cookie until after dinner? And you went into the kitchen, and your heart beat a little faster. And you you got a little nervous, and you looked over your shoulder, and you were certain nobody was coming. And you put your hand in the cookie jar, and you pulled it out, and you darted out of the kitchen. You didn't get caught and you ate the cookie, but you knew, you knew that you had committed a horrible, hideous crime, according to your mother. Now, what was going on? Just your mother's voice in the back of your head, ringing in your ear? Well, the Bible would say that's your conscience, and that everybody has one, and that it bothers them, it accuses them, and that that is put there by God. Now think about this for a minute. If we all came from immaterial matter, if we just came from material things, how do you explain such a thing like conscience? Where did that come from? And the scripture is saying it came from God, that there's a moral law in the world, and everybody has it, not just the scripture. Everybody has it buried deep in their conscience. They are bothered when they do things they think are not right. So God has given um, an external witness in creation and an internal witness in conscience. There's a third revelation of God. Look at chapter 3. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? much in every way chiefly because to them was committed the oracles of god now paul says well what advantage has the jew over the gentiles and the answer is to them was given the scripture here called the oracles of god now let's talk about this for a minute creation Reveals the power of God. Conscience reveals that there's a moral aspect to God. It is the scripture that teaches us about the love of God. One of my favorite verses on this subject is Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us and that takes care of the sin problem matter of fact first first corinthians chapter 15 says christ died for our sins that god loved us sent his son to die for us and in that death paid for sin. Why that? Well, because the Bible says the wages, what you earn by sinning, is death. And when Christ died, he paid that debt. And therefore, it can be wiped out provided you accept the payment. I mean, suppose you had this huge credit card debt. And for some of you, that doesn't take imagination. $10,000 beyond your ability to pay. You don't have that much money in your savings account or your checking account. And some wealthy man comes along and says, that's your debt, I'm going to pay it. And the minute he pays it, you no longer owe it, right? Well, we have a sin debt. The wages of sin is death and Christ came and he paid the debt so I can be free from having to pay for sin provided I accept the payment so this wealthy man provides uh, offers to pay your credit card debt off and you say no thanks I'll do it myself well then you still got the debt well in the case before God if you refuse to accept the payment of Christ and rely upon him The debt is so enormous you can never pay it off. So it's either his payment or no payment. The Bible makes that very clear in the book of Hebrews. So I'm simply saying God's revealed himself to every human being on this planet through creation and through conscience, but that's our problem, isn't it? Uh, Not everybody on the Scripture has the Bible. Not everybody on the planet has the Bible. They don't have the scripture they don't have the commandments of god they don't know about the love of god not all men have the revelation contained in the word of god and that's the problem that challenges christianity if a person will receive the revelation that he has then god will see to it that he gets enough to know the lord that's the answer Did it slip past you? Let me repeat it. This is, if you're taking notes, this is what you write down. If you grapple with this question, this is what you remember. If somebody challenges you with this problem, this is what you tell them. If a person accepts the revelation that they have and they want to know God, he will see to it that they have enough revelation to know him. Does the Bible teach that all over the place let me cite a few examples in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 it says you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart Jeremiah 29 13 how about Lamentations 325 the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. But my favorite is John 7, 17. If you miss everything I'm saying, this is the verse you need to write down. John 7, 17. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of by my own authority. Let me repeat. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know. John 7:17, 7, He will know. Now those are verses that state the truth. There are stories in the Bible that illustrate the principle. For example, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 had gone to Jerusalem was on his way back home to Ethiopia and was stopped at an oasis, apparently, in the desert. And he was reading Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And he didn't understand what he he was seeking. He wanted to know. He had been to Jerusalem to seek. He's reading Isaiah to seek. He wants to know. So God brings along Philip. And if you just read the passage in the English text, it sounds a bit rude. Philip saddles up beside him and says, Understand what you're reading? (laughs) Can you imagine being in an airport reading something and somebody sitting down (laughs) beside you and say, Hey, you understand that? (laughs) Now the explanation is that in the ancient world there was no space between letters or sentences. There was no punctuation. So they read out loud to try to make out what it was saying. So he could tell by his tone of voice he was struggling. It was perfectly appropriate to say, do you understand what you're reading? And the fellow says, no. And the text in Acts 8 says, and he told him about Jesus. Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus who died for you. So here is a man who's seeking, and God sends Philip, to give him the answer. Same thing happens in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, there's a man named Cornelius, and he wants to know. He wants to know how he can know the Lord. He's a good man. He just doesn't know the Lord. And so the Lord has to convince Peter, a Jew, to go talk to this Cornelius, a Gentile. Now, that was a no-no culturally. So the Lord had to, if you'll permit me to put it this way, slap him around a little bit. I don't mean Cornelius, I mean Peter. He gave him a dream, and he says, look, I'm telling you to go give him the message. And he goes to Cornelius' house, and he gives him the message, and immediately Cornelius and all in his house came to the Lord. So there are two cases in the scripture where people wanted to know, and they sought an answer and god saw to it that they got it when i was in college i'd just become a christian i didn't know much about the bible at all and they had something called a missions conference and a mission a missionary spoke on this subject and the story he told so impressed me i've never forgotten it he talked about a time when a missionary in africa before they had laid it all out like they have now, got lost. And in trying to find his way back to civilization, he stumbled upon a tribe that he didn't even know was there. He couldn't speak their language, they couldn't speak his, but somehow they managed to get him back to civilization. But now he knew they were there, and he took linguists back in, and they were able to reduce the language to writing. And the person who helped them was the witch doctor. And as soon as they were able to communicate to the witch doctor fluently in his own language, they gave him the gospel, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus arose from the dead, and all you have to do is trust in Jesus Christ to have the gift of eternal life. And that witch doctor immediately trusted Christ. The missionaries were taken back, and they thought, wow, this doesn't normally happen. You usually have to uh, have a little more information. What made you so quickly believe our message was true. And the witch doctor said, many moons ago, that's how they measured time, by the full moon. They figured it out. It was just over nine years and a couple of months. He said, I'm the witch doctor. I knew those idols didn't have any power. And I went out into the jungle, and I looked at all the trees, and I thought, who made this? And I said, if you made all this, reveal yourself to me. And it took him a long time, but God got him the message. I told that story this week to a lady who had been a missionary, and she said, there are all kinds of stories like that. And there are tons of stories like that. Matter of fact, I think I had something very similar to that happen to me once. I um, was speaking in a church, happened to be in New England, and um, a high school girl brought her friend to hear me speak, and I preached the message that Jesus died for your sins, arose from the dead, and all you have to do is trust him to have eternal life, and after the service, she wanted to talk to me, and she was very willing to trust Christ, and I led her to Christ, and then she told me her story. She said, I did not grow up in a religious home. Uh, neither my father nor my mother uh, are religious in any way of any kind. And she said, of course, I've heard that there's a God, but I wondered, I wondered who he was and if I could know him. So she said, a few months ago, I was laying in bed one night, and I simply prayed, and I said, Is there a God? Are you up there? If you are, show yourself to me. And my friend invited me to church, and the minute I heard you speak, I knew God had answered my prayer. Here's the principle. If you want to know, if you really want to know, God will see to it that you get enough information so you can know. Got it? Well, if it's that simple, what's the problem? Oh, yeah, we have a problem. Let's go back to Romans 1. I said I had several observations to make, and the first one is that God has revealed himself, which I have explained in the fact that he's given us creation and a conscience, and he's given us his word. Second observation, verse 20. And since the creation of the world, his visible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Whoa! You mean all they have is creation and they're without excuse? Wow! How can that be? Well, read the next verse. Because although they knew God, that is about him, they did not glorify him as God, neither were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkening, professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, God revealed himself, verse 20, and they rejected the message in verses 21 through 23. You see, God has revealed himself, and revelation requires a response. What they responded to God's revelation in creation was by not saying reveal yourself to me i don't want to know you Uh, i want to make you in my image they chopped down a tree carved out an idol and said that's god and that's what this passage means when it says in verse 23 they changed the glory of the incorruptible god into an image into an image made like a corruptible man or of birds or four-footed animals or creeping things in other words god has revealed himself And people have rejected the revelation. They've rejected it. They rejected it by making idols. Now that's so-called primitive people. But educated people in America are no better off. They are supposed to know. They look at creation. They don't make an idol. They just say it evolved what's that rejection of creation there's nothing in their response that says creation whether it evolved or not I want to know how it got here I believe in the Big Bang good for you all that says is that there was a beginning to the universe which is very compatible with the scripture what I want to know is what was before the bang And they don't answer that. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. For the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know what the word fool means? The Hebrew word fool, I just quoted Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know what the word fool means? Can I give it to you straight? I looked it up last week. I've been studying wisdom. It means stupid. So somebody who says there is no God professes himself to be wise. God says you're just plain stupid. Why? Because you ought to be able to look at creation and say, There's a creator. You ought to be able to look at the world and say there's a world maker. You ought to be able to look at a watch and say there's a watchmaker. You ought to be able to look at me and say there's a woman is or has been on this planet that's able to give birth. I didn't hatch out of an egg. (laughs) So what's the problem? You don't accept the revelation. You reject it. You reject creation. In the ancient world, they made idols. In the modern world... They ignore it. Well, what about conscience? Surely that'd get them. All right, let's go back to chapter 2. In chapter 2, it says in verse 15, who show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness <clears throat> between themselves, their thoughts, their thoughts accusing or else excusing one another. You see what he's saying? He is saying that you can actually get to the place where your conscience excuses what you do. Remember the first time you ever stole a cookie? Your heart beat faster, your breathing increased, you got nervous. Remember the third time you stole a cookie? Remember the fifth time you stole a cookie? You know, after a while, you got to be a professional cookie thief. (laughs) And it didn't even bother you. You could go into the kitchen, the cookie jar before dinner, and you looked around, but there wasn't the, I mean, you know, there wasn't the bother that you used to have or the physical reaction. And besides, you said, every going kid needs a cookie mother's unfair because she won't let me eat a cookie before dinner what are you doing psychologists call that rationalizing you are saying i'm going to reject the conscience i'm not going to listen to my conscience you can actually harden your conscience the new testament says you can sear it as with a hot iron The way I've illustrated this in the past is saying one of the tenderest parts on your body is the space on your foot between the heel and that little space under your toes. You know that little space in there? Are you ticklish? If I tickled that, would you feel it? It's one of the softest parts on your body, one of the most sensitive. On the other hand, one of the most insensitive parts of your body is the heel. Matter of fact, we're only a kid. Did you ever stick a pin through your heel just to show that you could do it and not feel it? Did you ever do that? And other stupid things we did. <laughs> now, what's the difference between the inside of that foot that's so tender and the heel that's so tough? You stepped on the heel. You step on your conscience enough and it'll become hard instead of soft and tender. So the conscience no longer accuses, it excuses one another. Well what about the commandments? I mean, surely if you gave somebody the Word of God, surely they would respond then. You would think so, but from experience I know that isn't the way it works. Have you ever told somebody what the Bible said? And they said, thanks, but no thanks? If I had a dollar for every time I've done that, I could take us all out to dinner in the finest restaurant in the valley. Happens every day. Happens every Sunday morning. Happens every day of the week where people are telling people about the Lord and they say, thanks, but no thanks. They reject. The very Word of God. Now let me explain to you how significant that is. The book of Hebrews says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is a sharp book. You don't have to defend the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't defend itself. We do. Don't defend it. Just turn it loose. It's alive, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the center of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Whoa! This is a powerful book. And nevertheless... They turn away. So we're back to the third observation I'd like to make. The first is that God has revealed himself. The second is that people have rejected God's revelation. And the third is the results. Go back and look at Romans 1.20. So they are without excuse. Who's without excuse? There are two groups of people that are without excuse. Those who have heard the scripture and those who have not. Actually, Romans 1.20 is talking about those who've not. We don't get to those who've heard until chapter 3. And that's our problem. So the objection to Christianity is how can God judge or condemn people that never heard about Jesus if he's the only way you can be saved? And the answer is you are assuming they have no knowledge and therefore no possibility to be saved. That's not true. What is true is that God has revealed himself through creation conscience, and the Word of God. And if you respond to any of that and want to know, God will see to it that you get enough information so that you can know the Lord. Let me put this real simple and real clear. The issue is not a lack of knowledge. The issue is a lack of of willingness. One more time. The issue is not a lack of knowledge. The issue is a lack of willingness. So that person who's never heard, and there are fewer and fewer of those in the world, is rejecting God's revelation in creation and conscience. They're without excuse. But that's not because they don't have a chance or they don't have some knowledge. It's that. They're unwilling to really want to know God. In my experience, they practice group think. They think like their culture. They think like their group. And fortunately, not everybody does that in some breakout. Well, what about those who've heard? Those in America? The gospel is preached on the radio, television, every day on the internet. What about them? The same thing is true. They hear the message and reject it. They say, not for me. No. Wow. You hear about the love of God and the possibility of forgiveness in Christ and you don't want to have any of that? Well, you're doing exactly what that person Is doing who's never heard. I want to conclude by putting all this in perspective. So let me tell you a story. I forgot where I got it. I think I made this one up. (laughs) I told you I was going to make it up, right? I want you to imagine that there's a person on a deserted island that managed to escape the wreck of the boat with a survival pack that included a mirror marooned on this island but able to survive with survival skills and the tools in the survival pack he was there for some time until one day on a bright sunny day at noon a ship came real close to the island and he knew that if he waited till that ship got a little closer he could take that mirror and reflect the sun and send a signal to the ship and the ship came closer and closer and closer and when it got as close as it was going to get that man marooned on that deserted island took that mirror and for some reason tossed it down and ran back into the jungle He rejected the means to get a rescue. On the other hand, let's suppose you were the person on that deserted island. And one day you saw the ship come close to the island, and they saw you. And they let down a small boat that made it to the shore, and some people on the ship got off that little boat and said, Come, get in the boat. We will take you back to civilization. And for some reason, you said, no. No, I'm not going to get in your boat. I'm going to stay on my deserted island. I'm tempted to ask, who's worse? The person who rejected the means to get the boat there, or the person who rejected the boat. But in either case, the problem is not that there was no chance. The problem is they rejected the chance they had. Granted, some have a better chance than others. That's not the issue. The issue is the human heart bent on rejecting the revelation of God in whatever form They meet it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a revelation of yourself, not only in your word, but in our hearts, in creation. But Lord, my concern is that people who give us this objection need to know that there is a reasonable answer because you've told us to give a reasonable answer to those that question us about the hope that is in us. So, Lord, equip us to be able to answer not only our own doubts, but those people who ask us about this very, very interesting question. In Jesus' name, amen.